3: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to quite a packed episode, actually. I skipped last week, but uh, this episode has got a lot in it. We have an interview with Michael Guerin and Martin Dowden, uh, another pair of Manning authors. And we're talking about their forthcoming book for Manning called Tiny CSS. And that was a nice interview about a, a book that I think will be quite positive for many of you learning CSS or wanting to relearn some techniques, that kind of thing. I have a few mentions of some things I've been up to, and of course I have some links. Let's get started with those links first. First, a little bit of Apple coverage. This is from Sean Hollister on The Verge. It's been widely reported. I still have to check if this is applicable all over the world or if it's just in the US, in which case it's semi-useful. Has, I think, bowed to pressure and finally got on with this partial self-fix program. And this article goes into a little bit of detail about the parts and how much they're going to cost. And actually it amazed me because some of them were surprisingly low, I guess, and some of them were surprisingly expensive. I suppose it somewhat depends on whether it's custom or kind of mass-manufactured. So things like, for example, the antenna module, I guess, for the Wi-Fi, I suppose. It's the only antenna there is, or maybe it's Bluetooth, I'm not sure. $15 for every model. Uh, Similar with the audio board, $12. Again, I'm not sure what that means because I thought... With the different versions of uh, MacBooks, there's been improvements to the audio jack and things like that. So I would have expected to be differences there, although this isn't all models. I think it's only some older models. So again, this is Apple's attempt to uh, have a a self-repair program, but it's a very Apple self-repair program. Uh, And then we get to the more nuance here. So batteries, for example, you can't replace every battery. Uh, Battery cover, you can which is weird, and one costs 50 cents more for some strange reason. Um, The display is where the costs start to vary quite a lot, I guess, depending on the the retina, whether it's an Air, whether it's a Pro, that kind of thing. Where we get into the really expensive part is, of course, the logic board. This is the the meat and potatoes of most computers, Um, and it varies quite a lot. So, for example, I guess from low-end to high-end, the most expensive is the 14-inch MacBook Pro from 2021, which is what I have. Ranging from $878 to nearly uh, $4,000. $3,958. Mine is probably somewhere in the middle of that. And those are similar ranges for all of them, I guess, depending on the amount of options. So something like the Airs, for example, uh, that have less options, have less of a range. It's also interesting because it says uh, $499.84 after credit. I don't really know what that means or how that works exactly. And then the other expensive parts are the top casing. Uh, a lot of the casing these days is all in- inclusive. If you, you'll often find that if you damage a small thing, you have to replace the whole case. Uh, and that's basically the two main costs. So the comment here is interesting is most prices seem relatively generous, others not so much, which is kind of what I said. Uh, if, you repl- if you need to replace the logic board, you might as well get a new laptop in some respects, although it'd have to do the cost there. If you just need to replace the antenna, then great, $15, that's fine. Um, this doesn't really go into any of the instructions on how it's done, of course. And how easy it is to replace these things. Maybe that $15 antenna is incredibly hard to replace. And um, there's another interesting one, like, for example, if you need to get, if you break a key on the keyboard, you have to get an entire new layout. You can't just get one. And let's dig a little bit into the motherboard because that's where things get a bit more interesting the logic board. So, firstly, you can't upgrade it, you can't swap a lower end one for a higher end one, which seems odd. I don't really see why not. Maybe there's other reasons. Um, and they incentivize you to return it. So this is where the voucher comes from. Um, so actually for a 16-inch Mac, MacBook Pro board, you will only end up paying 588 So I guess they have a way of repurposing them, repairing them maybe. Maybe they recycled them somehow. Maybe those valuable metals inside end up being worth doing this for. Um, so it's interesting as well. And, uh, and then there's even prices for the tools. I think this was something that was, uh, mentioned when people were first testing this, how you get shipped this ridiculous toolbox that takes a long time and you have to send back. And there's all this shipping. And you really get to this point where you like, is this worth it for Apple? <laughs> but whatever, that's fine. And it's a, yeah, it's a rental, $49 for that. So I hope I never have to test this. I haven't really needed to repair any aspect of a macbook for some time not since probably the the keyboard old butterfly keyboards the first generation butterfly keyboards where i just got the whole thing replaced for free of course that's the only time i've had to have anything repaired in quite some time so hopefully i'll never need to test this and uh but there's a little bit of interesting there and it's i guess the the, the tldr is it's not as bad as you may think Another little bit of Apple news here. This is coming back to a series of posts written by someone I've mentioned a few times on the podcast now, the Eclectic Light Company. He actually published a whole series of blog posts recently which fed very nicely into the Virtual Buddy video I made recently, which I think I told you all about, uh, about how virtualization works on Apple Silicon Macs. This is generally around virtualizing for... um, mac os virtual machines so for testing and things like that something like parallels definitely does both and i use parallels for windows machines definitely but virtual buddy in fact he goes through a lot of the options here virtual buddy utm viable even vmware fusion are largely for mac os um, images so for testing betas if you're a developer, et etc., et cetera, these sorts of things. But new frameworks inside Monterey and Big Sur have made this easier, which is, I guess, why there's now this proliferation of these tools. And in, in quote marks, <laughs> in very large quote marks, they're relatively easy to develop, I suppose, is the argument here. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of discussion around how the file formats work, how the underlying infrastructure works, how they compare, all these sorts of things. So this is a topic I really love to find out more about and I wish I'd known more about it before I made the video. And actually I left a comment on the post and he mentioned this. But um, if that also interests you and why should it not, then go and take a look. And finally, this is an article from MIT Technology Review from Clive Thompson. It's actually from nearly a year ago, but it's come up recently, I think, because the company um, have been heavily... Uh, crippled by the supply line uh, issues and uh, thus because they're such a fundamental part of the supply process themselves this i think just news about them has resurfaced so this is called inside the machine that saved moore's law the dutch firm it's nice that it's not in america or asia asml spent nine billion and 17 years developing a way to keep making denser computer chips and get around this kind of moore's law issue that has popped up over the past few years where for various sort of thermal, physical, chemical reasons, it's almost impossible to build anything that can go higher than what we have now. And there've been uh, alternative methods have been needed, and this is is a machine that does that. So they actually do have a factory in the states as well, and this is where the interview comes from. Um, one machine can cost 180 million, and companies like Intel and TSMC buy them. Each machine is assembled in the Netherlands. It's the size of a small bus. And what it does is it, uh, <laughs> in a very overarching way, it blasts molten drops of tin with lasers 50,000 times a second. And it takes four seven four seven to ship one to a customer. Well, you can start to see where these prices are. I've actually been reading a book recently called When Wizards Stay Up Late, which is about the creation of ARPANET, the precursor to the internet. And it's somewhat similar in that often had like babysitters on planes with the machines that were set up as the initial node in that network. And they were very, if you think of a rugged laptop these days, these things were like, could withstand bomb damage, which was kind of the point. And there's some wonderful photos and wonderful descriptions here of how it all works. And you can see this machine, it does even have wheels from the looks of it. Um, (laughs) and actually moving parts of the machinery around and how they got to it and and yeah, the, the story from there. So I will leave you to read it in a bit more detail because it's a little bit older. It's outside the MIT Technology Review paywall. So go and have a read and marvel at these awesome photos of crazy machinery making probably some of the chips you are using right now. Now I'm going to move into something a little different. People have asked me many times to look at uh, software products, even some hardware products that relate to technology, but generally not much else. That's kind of what I tend to cover. But I actually got sent something else to test, which I'm going to cover. Uh, I've been It's been quite busy for me the the past few months and probably the next couple of weeks as well. I'm sort of in a transition phase with work. I'm going to start spending more time on some of my creative projects in the coming months. But I'm in that transition period where timing, you couldn't quite get it to work out. I've got to do a lot at the moment and trying to struggle to remember all these things, but also, you know, preparing for these creative ideas. I'm really enthusiastic about working on very soon. I think my biggest problem is this frustration of not having enough time To get to them all. And then because of all these things I want to do, I'm often quite uh, unfocused and find it hard to fit everything in in a constructive, productive way. I've been trying this little drink. It came from America. It got stuck in German customs for a while, which is always fun. (laughs) Called Magic Mind. And it packs a whole bunch of ingredients in to try and help with some of these things and some things I didn't necessarily need help with, but hey, everything's a bonus. And I've been trying it over the past seven days. I'm about halfway through now, so it seemed to be a good time to talk through it. If you're interested actually in watching my experiences with it on a day-to-day basis, I'm also putting together a video um, on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. I have been a lot more... I'm not... So, my sleep has still been a little bit up and down. It takes a little bit of time to repair, I think, because sometimes there's other things going on that you need to fix. But I've definitely been kind of more level. I've found that my energy has been more balanced over the day. And I tend to get up quite early and I tend to stay out reasonably late. And I like to pack a lot in to my days. This is my just the way I like to be. I like to be busy. I like to make the most of my life as much as possible. But I have found that I'm getting kind of more done evenly spread out through the day. It's hard to obviously say what is helping because there's a bunch of different ingredients in here. But the one that maybe I will call out Bacopa Monieri, it's a nootropic. And it does actually claim to be one of the things it can help with is something like procrastination. It's it's helped me procrastinate less or be more focused around it and with it if that I feel like there is some Form of focus procrastination. <laughs> and if any of this sounds familiar to you or you'd like to, of course, see if there's any other benefits that might benefit you, have a look at it. Uh, give it a try. They do ship around the world, actually. I have a couple of discount codes you could try if that interests you. So for the next 10 days after the release of this episode, you can get 40% off a subscription at a special link I have, which is magicmind.co slash Chinchilla, C-H-I-N-C-H-I-L-L-A. Or you can get a 20% discount on any single purchase with the code Chinchilla20, C-H-I-N-C-H-I-L-L-A, 20, number 20. And I will report back on sort of the end of my experiences with it next episode. And watch out for that video too. And now to my interview with Michael Guerin and Martine Dowden and their forthcoming book from Manning, Tiny CSS Projects.
1: Um, So I'm Martine Dowden. um, I'm a a UX UI developer by trade. Um, I'm now the CTO for Andromeda Galactic Solutions. And I've been doing this for a while now. (laughs) And CSS is probably my favorite coding language.
2: Okay. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah. So I, I'm I'm Mike. Um, UX uh, sort of front end developer uh, living in Wales in in the UK. Um, so my background is like in interaction design, front end development, and at the moment uh, working in the UK government, uh, looking at the uh, digital services. Firstly,
3: Martin, what was the name of that company? It sounded like Intergalactic Solutions, but I'm not sure if that's what I heard. <laughs>
1: Andromeda Galactic Solutions. Yeah, (laughs) that is what you (laughs)
3: heard. So how did someone working for the UK government and someone working for the government of Andromeda, I'm not sure, how did the two of you meet and decide to do this book in the first place?
1: Uh, We met through Manning. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. Manning paired us up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh,
2: good, yeah, so, yeah we basically the the idea of the book um I initially started writing about the book um you know we went uh working with Manning we were kind of planning our chapters and uh we started writing some of the chapters and Martin was kind of working on a separate uh sort of uh project with Manning and Manning just thought hang on a minute we got kind of two similar projects going on here can we kind of do a collaboration for the Tiny CSS Projects book, and I think it's gone really well so far. We, you know, we've uh, we're coming in from different perspectives, as you sort of mentioned, that uh, we've got two completely different backgrounds, but I think that's lending itself well to to this book. Okay, and so let's talk about the name Tiny CSS.
3: I was wondering because when I first saw it, I've been quite interested recently in. Um, understanding ways of reducing the environmental impact of applications and front-end is actually i think the front-end community is is way ahead um in this regard i think probably because it's it's easier to observe what's going on so initially i thought oh tiny css does that mean reducing css or does it mean uh, man you know manageable css so what do you mean, or what does the title mean by Tiny CSS? What kind of angle are you going for there?
2: So the, the concept of the book is uh, quite a nice, simple proposition in the sense that um, each chapter has got its own individual project. Um, it's a, a tiny project. And the idea is, is that you start with a problem or something that you want to tackle. And by the end of that chapter, you have, you've achieved that objective. And then by going through each chapter, not only uh, just building these tiny projects, you also learn CSS in the background, um, and it's very much led by a project-led basis. Uh, but you also got the benefit of learning CSS as a language. Okay,
3: so tiny in this case is manageable. Um, what's the actionable, manageable, all the apples projects to to learn techniques from? Yeah. Okay. And where where do you think people reading the book would be at in their CSS experience career? Is this for beginners, intermediate, advanced, or across the board?
2: I think this is one of the trickier things that we had conversations with is um, CSS can um, be a useful language for so many different people. Uh, you know, a back-end developer might need to sort of dip into CSS to make front-end changes um, someone who's new to front-end development, uh, it's kind of an essential language for them to pick up. And how we kind of landed uh, our thoughts on this was that it's it's a bit for everything. If you want it in that sense that um, you could be a new person to CSS and this could be a nice introduction to that because it's got that tiny approach. Um, but at the same time, it's also suitable for those... Uh, developers who kind of dip into css as well when it came to picking the projects um how
3: did you decide what to pick css is a big topic it's been with us for some time it's always changing so how how did you the two of you decide what you were going to choose for
2: those 12 projects martin would
1: you like to go first sure i think there's some level of what are we tried to balance the fun like fundamentals that you had Like things that if you're going to write CSS that you probably are going to need um, at some point. Uh, And then things that are really commonly used and then things that are tricky and you wouldn't like or like that obscure helpful thing. So Mm. when you take all three of those, it's coming up with projects that are day in, day out, things you would see in the wild that you would come up against in the wild that you would actually do, Um, and then figuring out how to work in the helpful things and the core fundamentals in there, um, as well as those little tidbits of, oh, you know, it's actually super easy to do this. Here's the two and a half lines of code you'll need, right?
3: (laughs) Okay. Were there any uh, disagreements between topics? (laughs)
2: no not there's, not really um,
1: there's a couple of chapters we went round and round as to how to put it together like in terms of like co- like which concepts would be best suited but for the most part not really <laughs>
3: <laughs> and as two people who have not really worked together before um
2: have you just basically taken a chapter each or have you collaborated on chapters Pretty much. So that's the approach we've gone for is that Martin is tackling six chapters. I'm also uh, tackling the other six chapters, a nice fair split in that way. Uh, But then we're kind of making sure we got that consistency across the book. Uh, So once we've kind of written like a first draft version, we're just like, hey, can you just go and kind of check in and have a little look at this? And I think that's just like an amazing feat of technology in that sense that Martin's over in America I'm over in the U.K., uh, we've been using Slack and uh, Google Docs and all of those sort of things just to help us with that collaboration.
3: And uh, what did you
2: decide?
3: The CSS, you know, CSS is one of these technologies. As I already said it's been around for a while. I think I remember when it came out. That's how long I've been dabbling in web technologies. Um, and to too many in the front end community, it's almost they almost don't touch it anymore. They they're using different levels of abstraction to do CSS. You know, so what did you decide to? to leave out what could you have done that you decided doesn't really suit the topic or is too many levels of abstraction or etc etc
1: oh we went down to the bare bones we went back to pure old plain css which is not like a lot of times today um you'll be using either sass or less or you know, whatever, pick your, or you'll be using tailwinds or materials or, you know, and then there's all those layers on top. We went down to the bare bones CSS because if we went from the principle that if you understand CSS, you can build an abstract to any of those layers. But if you don't understand the core underline, it's going to be really easy to make Mistakes that'll shoot you in the foot long down the road with all of those various pieces, and so that even when the other thing is, well, if we're going to go SASS versus Less, like which syntax, and da 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 da, you get into all of these questions of well, Now we have to present the framework and explain the framework. When realistically, it still boils down to if you're trying to troubleshoot the issue with any of those, you know, uh, preprocessors and frameworks you're still going to come back down to how to CSS does CSS itself work mm-hmm. um, so that's why we went with the with the more of the let's just come all the way down to the base level and the mm-hmm. last chapter is going to cover preprocessors but at a very very high level in terms of here are your options mm-hmm. here's you know but very we, we wanted the majority of the book to stay really really pure to CSS so that you could because then, I mean, as a developer, we're used to abstracting after that, but to really stick to those core concepts.
3: Mm. I get a feeling there's a, I sort of saw a, a feeling there of maybe you're a, sometimes a little uh, um, professionally offended that so many people don't really understand the basics <laughs> when they are dabbling mm. at higher levels.
1: No, I don't think professionally offended <laughs> is the right term. I, I think it's, i think it's doing a you're, i think it's doing yourself a disservice to if you're if you're going to play with the frameworks and if you're gonna play with the all of the preprocessors pre processors and stuff at some point you're doing yourself uh you're doing yourself a dis- a disfavor if you don't learn c s s yeah like the if if that makes sense and that's where i think um like you can get very, very far knowing just tailwinds on SAS or whatever or something like that. You can get quite far, but I think that um some of the some of the griping and some of the complaints I hear a lot about c s s can be t- very quickly related to not understanding some piece of the core fundamentals versus the fact that it actually sucks. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people that'll just say CSS sucks. And it really doesn't, just needs, you know, time to be understood. That's
3: all. (laughs) I also kind of get the impression that CSS and vanilla JavaScript have both actually improved massively and added a lot of things that all these other tools added in the meantime, but people don't touch them so much. They don't actually realize they can do these things with with the vanilla options now. It's actually something that often delightfully surprises me every now and then. Correct. Yeah.
2: In that sense, CSS has come on a long way uh, in, especially in the last couple of years, you now got CSS grids and Mm. flexbox, and all of this really useful stuff where in the past you would have a framework to kind of get your way around it um, to sort of be able to do a nice layout. Um, But actually it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, once you know the the core basics of how to do a, a grid, you can you can quickly uh, develop quite nice layouts with just pure CSS. Mm,
1: mm, mm. We're seeing a lot of that same transition we saw that JavaScript went through when you started seeing things like you don't need jQuery, right? Because <laughs> the basics to ev- the, the the bottom line was everything pulled back down to jQuery because so many and and Lodash or underscore or those kind of libraries. And now so much of that is just baked into the language. We're seeing a lot of that with CSS where a lot of the things where we used to use either a combination of CSS and JavaScript or um, or we're gonna use you know, pre-made classes because writing it was such a pain. Um, that's kind of going away. And so we're slowly seeing that shift we saw happen with jQuery and JavaScript happening with the world of CSS, or at least that's where I hope things are going.
3: (laughs) And I can see that because you've included things like animation, which I think has been possible with CSS for a while, but I actually get the feeling a lot of people don't realize it's been possible.
1: (laughs) Browser support was the hold up on yeah. that for a long yeah. time <laughs>
3: oh those those are the, those are the days um so what uh, going outside of these twelve topics what's what's exciting you about the world of CSS at the moment what's on the horizon
2: that really excites the two of you Let's start with Michael so I really like the look of uh, subgrids um which is an extension of uh, where CSS with grids has come from. So subgrids um, is going to be really interesting to see how it kind of takes that layout, uh, making it easy to lay out items a bit uh, a step further. Um, I think that's particularly interesting. I'm looking forward to also like CSS variables. I think that's quite an interesting topic. Um, And that kind of goes into like SAS and all of those ones where you can start to, uh, create variables that you can reuse through mm-hmm. your CSS um, and there's a whole area around there and I think the the third thing I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more is uh, like functions uh, mm-hmm. so we start to see things like um, uh, the ability to functions and colours you know it looks uh, those are the two areas I think are looking quite interesting the idea of using a function to like improve the contrast or to do those sort of things which was not possible that long ago but actually it's starting to look more and more like a thing that is going to come about quite quickly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how about you Martin? uh
1: that's funny because your list is completely different than mine i'm more looking at (laughs) some of the new selectors um has and where i think are going to be incredibly powerful really really quickly um and then uh things like we're, we may actually be getting a loss of line. I was just following some a thread about that, which would be super cool. So a lot of the the new selectors that just allow for a lot more complex things, mm. um, I think, will be super cool. And then some of the the improvements that have been done on forms yep. and just what you can do with styling forms because they're such they're everywhere. I mean, <laughs> absolutely bloody everywhere. <laughs> so I think I think that one is. is those are interesting to me because they're. I mean, when's the last time we I wrote a website or uh, an application that did not have at least one right? If nothing else, it's got a contact form.
3: I, I can't remember who wrote this, but there was a blog post recently from someone saying that the the form killed the internet. <laughs> it basically turned it from into being e commerce everywhere and this kind of thing. I can't remember where I read it. It was quite a recent blog post. If you can find it, but and. Um, do you do you worry that with these extra things get it added added in and it's starting to become more like some of those frameworks that the barrier to entry is going to be too complicated or are those basics still there as well?
1: I mean, unlike Java, unlike like okay, if we look at Angular, like Angular, or the progression of Angular, you know, from Angular to today, like it's radically changed, right? And it's what the code that you would have written in AngularJS wouldn't work in an Angular application today. Mm. And CSS doesn't have that problem. The code we wrote 10 years ago still works Mm. and would still work. Now we have access to a bunch more stuff, Mm -hmm. um, but you can still write a float and it'll still just work just fine. Um, you could still technically, although not advisable, uh, lay something out in a table with space frame oh, and yes. it will still beautifully work, <laughs> right? Um, so I think it's one of those where the barrier to entry is kind of still the same it always was. The only difference is that there's more to pick from and get confused by and overwhelmed by more than anything else but like the it's still the same thing Mm. it's still the same like the 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 core principles of selectors those are still the same inheritance is still the same um all of those you know insert css word soup here those things are still the same right Uh, so i don't think it's that I think it's going to be the same problem it's always been. And I think we're going to see this um, more of the same problems. We've always had. this is uh, how do you select the right thing at the right time and don't resort to important? Like yeah. It's still going to be the same <laughs> old battle. <laughs>
2: uh, how about you, Michael? Yeah, no, I don't think the barrier is getting higher the more CSS develops. I think more of the risk is the more frameworks and those side of things there are um, and a less understanding of knowledge of the core CSS. I think that's more of a problem, especially mm-hmm. for uh, junior developers who might pick up a project um, that's got CSS over the top of CSS and not really understanding the cascade of how mm-hmm. that's working. Those core principles. I think that's more of a barrier to entry is picking up existing style sheets and existing projects um, you know I've, as Martine said like the, the core principles of CSS is still the same mm-hmm. it's just being developed on and I think that's the better approach than introducing another framework or another extensions to CSS mm-hmm.
3: it's actually something I think he's often forgotten about. The, the C is cascading, and once you understand it, it's actually quite wonderful, but it can take some time to, <laughs> to get your head around that.
1: One, <laughs> well, so many frameworks break it. Like if we look at, I'm not going to name names because everybody has their pet library but there are a number of frameworks that basically break inheritance yep. and cascade by putting all of the classes in the html without yep. any concept of that and i think that makes it harder to learn how css works yep. if you're used to one of those frameworks
3: yeah okay final question before we just wrap up with uh, where people can find more about the book and and the two of you um what are your what's your favorite css feature aspect or which is the one you think people should know the most? It might not be the same answer. <laughs> Who would like to go first?
2: It's a tricky Michael, one.
1: you go first because I'm still thinking. <laughs>
2: I think he is. Well. I was about to say the same thing. Um, I, I think it is, it is the, the core understanding of CSS. I think, remembering back to when I first learned about CSS, I think, it's around understand like the selectors and mm. like starting to dig into like how um the, the fundamentals are. I think everything else on top of that is great and it's good to know about, like grid, flexbox, et cetera. But for me, I think the most value and it always will be is just the fundamentals. And it sounds quite dry, mm. but I think it's definitely underappreciated and undervalued.
3: Mm-hmm. Are you ready, Martin?
1: <laughs> I, I I yeah, maybe uh it'll be my favorite today tomorrow my, i may have a different favorite based on what i'm working on but uh i think right now my favorite is probably if i had to pick a single feature it's probably everything that revolves around um around animation mm-hmm. and very specifically like what all all the things you can do with the transform function mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but it's it's because that's what i was working on yesterday tomorrow you know <laughs> pick me a you know i might have a different answer i think i think it's more the the versatility of things you can do yeah um and the like based on very simple things or css shapes i think is also super cool just because of the extra layer of you know of styling that it can open up and kind of take us out of everything a square world mm. and actually give us other options than squares which is nice yeah. um so
3: that's actually the one i was not familiar with and i kind of agree with you so i'm interested to go and look into that myself i think having it's round round on. page layouts <laughs>
1: it's still square under the covers but it <laughs> pretends not to be which is nice
3: Well, laptop screens are essentially grids, unfortunately. (laughs) Cool. So if people want to find more about the book, it's currently in the Early Access Program, uh, and there's four, well, one introduction and three um, chapters available to to take a look at. That's on uh, manning.com, Tiny CSS Projects. Uh, Probably easier just to search for it. I found it quite easily. If uh, people want to... Find out more about the two of you. Any contact details you want to share?
1: Uh, me, the easiest is martin.dev. Um, that's where you'll find all my okay. stuff and latest shenanigans.
2: Cool, cool. And feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, so it's Michael uh, Giron. Um, it's just that as a Twitter handle, nice and easy. Um, yeah, always feel free to reach out and drop me a message.
3: Cool. Well, thanks very much for joining me and good luck with the the rest of the book. And that was my interview with Michael and Martine and their forthcoming book. So a couple of things from me. Uh, I have, I think I mentioned this last time, I've restructured some of my videos. I'm working on a lot of pre-recorded videos at the moment. I'm working on one for Canonical and Kubernetes. I am working on one for Better Touch Tool after my... Uh, learning live stream, which was a, a, a uh, confusing way of mentioning that I had a learning live stream about Better Touch Tool, and I'm now working on a post video where I look at more of that. I'm also working on a video for an e-reader I've been playing with for a little while, one, one I bought, um, and quite a few other things in progress as well. I've got a lot of videos in progress, but they take a little bit of time to put together. And the other learning live stream I had recently was Bun. The JavaScript runtime to replace NPM and Yarn, or is it? There was a little bit of a mixed opinion on that, but have a watch. These are re reinvigorating my live streams where I just learn something on my own and then maybe turn it into a video later. So they're up there already. And I think that's going to be it from me for now. I keep promising lots of things coming soon. And this connects a little bit to what I said earlier about getting to a point where I'm going to change what I'm doing a little bit and have a bit more time for some other projects and some creative projects especially. So a lot of things that are very close to completion will get completed very quickly soon, TM. But until then, thank you very much for joining me. And um, yeah, I'll see you on the next show. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at christianchilla.com, where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing, games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me, and if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.